This is a STEAM Channel program on UCTV. Go full STEAM ahead at uctv.tv slash STEAM, where science, technology, engineering, arts, and math converge. Along your way, were there any times where you kind of were stressed and you almost wanted to give up? Oh, absolutely. And then I just always thought about the end, thought about the end product. Why am I doing this? I want to do something good for patients. All those people are going to find out they have cancer today. Did I have a bad day? No. I'm Steve Chappell, the executive director of the STEAM Leadership Series, uh, and this is the Women in Biotech program, so I better get off the stage. (laughs) But first, a thank you from our sponsors, the San Diego Foundation, the USS Midway Museum, Janssen Labs, Kyocera, SDG&E, and our newest partners, Ford, Ford Motor Company, and the Dwayne Roth Legacy Fund. Some of you will be watching a film in the Roth Auditorium across the street. Um, the STEAM Leadership Series was founded by Intellectual Capital and Kids Eco Club in partnership with uh, the San Diego Unified School System, of course, and Educational Synergy Alliance. Um, and it's a wonderful program today. Our keynoters are first Tina Nova, the legendary founder of many biotech companies, including Genoptics. Uh, she was a senior vice president of Illumina, and now she's launching Molecular Stethoscope. But Tina grew up plowing the fields in the Central Valley, first in her family, to go to college. And uh, Janelle, Dr. Janelle Ayers, everybody's a doctor here, but Janelle is the SOX expert in the microbiome, and I'll let uh, her explain exactly what that is. Then we have a fun and illustrious panel introduced by Milena, a student uh, like yourselves from Torrey Pines High. And now two welcomes. The first is from Ellen Potter of the Salk Institute, our gracious host, and then Becky Pettit, Vice President for Diversity and Other Things at UCSD. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name's Ellen Potter, and yes, as Steve said, I'm Dr. Ellen Potter, and my colleague Donna Mapson and I are the Educational Outreach Pro- um, Program here at the Salk Institute, and we're thrilled to have you here. Um, it's a part of our wonderful legacy and mission to ha- be able to excite um, young people about the um, scientific discovery. And I'd like Dr. Peter Salk to stand up because he is our representative. Of the legacy of Jonas Salk. So did any of you get to watch the documentary? Well, okay. Anybody know who Dr. Salk was? Raise your hand. Few of you. That's actually okay. Because he's the, um, one of the individuals who spearheaded the development of the polio vaccine, and you guys don't have to worry about it. 
And that is really exciting because that's the goal of any um, vaccination program is that you don't have to worry about that disease anymore. We still have plenty other um, programs for vaccinations that we need to keep going, but that one for polio is almost um, eradicated in the world, and that sinks to Dr. Salk. And he would have been 101 last week, so we had a whole year celebrating his um, impact on, on the world. And he, one of his strongest impacts is this institute. He believed that we should bring together people who are excited about biological discoveries. Not directed towards any exact disease, but the um, excitement and the ability to discover. And that's what this institute is all about, even the down to the architecture. It breeds and oozes collaboration. And that's really what science is all about. None of us do it in isolation. And there's our group, um, a big diverse group um, from 60 different countries. And we have a program for, that is actually, we inspire art here because that's one of the STEAM ideas is that the process of doing and creating both science and art are actually very similar, and we can learn from that. And this is an example of a Chihuly exhibition we had here, which was just so impressive um, and involved a lot of people in the community. And then we have our high school science day. So on the back of your program are information about our high school science day, in which your teachers can bring you back here. You'll have the opportunity to have hands-on lab tours, which is a unique opportunity because we do not usually offer um, access to our laboratories to the public. But we do it for high school students so that you can get an idea of what it's like and how exciting it is for scientific discovery. And then also we have a summer high school scholars program. And we all encourage you, the applications will be in conjunction with the Life Science Summer Institute and the um, San Diego Workforce Partnership. We have a common application that will be available in January for most of the institutes around here on the Mesa. You can work with our researchers on an authentic project, and by the time you're finished, you will be able to stand up right here and give a really elegant scientific um, presentation. So that's a little bit of background of our program, and then now I'm thrilled to um, invite up Becky Pettit from UCSD. Good morning. It is my pleasure to bring you greetings on behalf of UC San Diego. And um, to say that I love the title that Steve gave me, uh, Vice President for Diversity and Other Things. I think that will be my new title. I'll change my business cards. I'm the Vice Chancellor for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. I've been at the university for about um, seven months. I'm still learning my way around, but I've fallen in love. Um, they only gave me two minutes, so I'm going to try to crunch in a lot of things in, in these two minutes that I have with you. And I'm going to tell you three things that I think are important um, for you to know, and there will be a test at the end. 
So the first thing I want to share uh, and encourage you to do is to believe in yourselves, right? I want to share a personal story of what it was like for me growing up as, as a little girl. I was the youngest of five kids, and so naturally, naturally I was loved, adored, spoiled. I was my parents' favorite. Actually, I, as I grew older, I learned that everybody thought they were the favorite because everybody felt spoiled, loved, and adored, and, and like they'd gotten all of the attention they needed. But my parents told me I could do anything I wanted to do. I could be anything I wanted to be. And so I get to my um, high school, and I think, hey, I, I'm going to be in charge one day. I want to be a university president. So I tell this to my guidance counselor, and because I was not a good um, performer on standardized tests, she told me, you're not very smart, um, and I encourage you to learn how to type so you can be someone's assistant one day. And um, I was really happy when I got this job to, like, print out the, the news release and let her know that I did, in fact, learn how to type and that I now am somebody's assistant, but I am the assistant to the chancellor of a world-class institution, and um, so that was really about believing in myself and the positive self-talk that um, was important as I went forward. So had I absorbed the negative messages from people around me, I wouldn't be where I am today. So that's message number one. Believe in yourself and be mindful of your own self-talk and affirm yourselves. Point number two, support other girls and women. There are too many negative messages that we women and girls get about what we can't do. Too many other people trying to eclipse our, bril our brilliance and discourage us from pursuing our dreams. So support each other, support other women, and know that there is plenty of room at the top. Message number three. When you consider college, consider UC San Diego. Did I hear there are some UC San Diego current students here? Current students? Former students? Yes. All right. So consider consider talking to us at some point today if you're if you're interested. But I do I, I would be remiss if I didn't make a pitch for the new institution that I've joined. It has been an incredible learning journey. I am delighted that I have the privilege of spending my work days with so many brilliant world class faculty and educators and eager students. Um, and so as you move forward and listen to the opportunities and possibilities that will be shared with you today. Today, I want you to think about not so much about what you want to be when you grow up, but who you want to be, what kind of person you want to be, what kind of contribution you want to make to the world, um, and know that you can do that here at UC San Diego. We have so many options um, for you to consider, right? So that was point number three. So I said there would be a test at the end. You ready? What was point number one? Believe in yourself. Point number two? Support other girls and women. Point number three. Consider UC San Diego. Absolutely. I knew you looked like a smart bunch. You passed the test. So it, it really gives me joy to welcome you to this day. You have a fantastic lineup planned for you. So again, welcome and greetings on behalf of UC San Diego. And without further ado, I'm going to get out of the way and introduce to you who you really came to hear from, um, Dr. Tina Nova. Uh, 
Oh, everything she said is right on. <laughs> Same message. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you to Steve for being such a supporter of women. Thank you to Salk and, and UCSD for being who they are. And um, I'm really, really honored to be here. And thank you to Dr. Salk. And what his father did for this world is, is, is amazing. And I remember standing in line and getting my polio vaccine at a very young age. And so um, you need to all go home and look up uh, Dr. Salk. Google Dr. Salk um, before you um, Google Britney Spears tonight. So um, I just saw her this weekend. That shows you I'm not an complete science nerd, okay? Um, she was amazing, by the way, if you ever get a chance to see her. I've, I've been dancing and, and shaking my head um, all, the, all the days since I saw her. Um, I don't know if her brain is loose from all that move in her head that she does, but anyway, it was fun. Um, so um, I want to dispel things about scientists that I used to think when I was a high school girl. So when I was a high school girl, I thought scientists were nerds. I thought scientists were in lab coats. I thought scientists were men. I thought scientists had thick glasses. And I thought they were, like, yucky. How many of you think that's what a scientist looks like? Come on, let's be honest. Ha, thank you, girls who raised your hands. I appreciate it. Because more of you think that than ever. Well, let me tell you, after today, you're going to go, oh, my God, I've never seen such hot women who are scientists. Because there are a lot of us. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about having a calendar all 12 months. Yeah. Well, if I wasn't so damn old, I would pick June because that's my birthday, okay? So the women scientists are hot, and there's a lot of hot male scientists too. So let me tell you. So get that out of your, uh, get that out of your head. You want to be a scientist and be with hot people? Go be a scientist. Don't listen to anybody, okay? Do I look nerdy? No. Okay. So first thing to get rid of. Second thing I used to think is you had to come from a rich family. You had to come from a rich family. You had to go to a great school. You had to have had calculus and physics and college courses and all this and get into MIT and Harvard, and that's the only way you can be a scientist. Who believes that? Ah, all of you girls are dead wrong. Isn't that great news? You can be from anywhere. You can be from Delano, California. Do you know where Delano, California is? It's in the middle of California. It is a pit. That's where I grew up. I got my yellow Camaro and I left when I was 18 years old and saw that in the rearview mirror and said, I'm not coming back. <laughs> Delano, California did not have calculus, did not have AP, did not have any of that stuff. We had, oh, we had homemaking. I could make cinnamon buns, okay? Where did that get me in college? Nowhere. Where'd that get me with my ex-husband? Nowhere. <laughs> Forget the cinnamon buns, girls. You can be from anywhere, anywhere. You can go to any college. You don't have to have straight A's. You have to get through the classes, and you have to work hard, and you have to be dedicated, and you have to want it. There are a gazillion jobs in science. You don't have to have straight A's. You don't have to have all those classes. You don't have to go to MIT and Harvard. Those are not the only schools. Even UC is now tough to get into, okay? It's a lot tougher now than when I went to UC Irvine. I know that. But you can go to a state college. You can start at a junior college, if that's the only thing you can get into. And you can work and go to a four-year college. And you can take science courses and get a bachelor's degree in science and apply for a job and walk in there and kick ass and get it. You don't have to be from those places. It's all about wanting it. That's what I had. I wanted it. 
and no one got in my way. My high school counselor, Mr. J.B. Teasley, very similar to what Becky went, for, went through, said to me, I said, I'm going to UC Irvine. He said, why? I said, because I want to be somebody. He said, oh, really? Well, why aren't you going to the local junior college? I said, because I got into UC Irvine. That's why. If I would have listened to him, I wouldn't be doing what I did today. Okay? My grandparents, the most beautiful people in the world, came from Greece. They came in the 30s. They wanted me to marry this guy with these pointy shoes and gold teeth from Greece and help him get a visa. Okay? I loved my grandparents and not go to college. I said, no, no, I'm not marrying him. I'm going to college. My grandfather says, well... Okay, good idea. Maybe your husband dies someday. I said, whatever it takes to get me out of here, I'm going with. I'm going to college because maybe my husband will die. If that'll get me out of here and you'll pay for it, I'm there. And that's exactly what happened. I went to UC Irvine. I was behind. I was behind everybody else. I had to take the junior classes at first because I didn't have that background. And I studied and I studied and I studied and I didn't play. Yeah, I played a little. Okay. There were a couple nights that were really bad. But... (laughs) But for the most part, I was in that library, and I was working harder than anybody else because I had to, and I wanted it. I wanted it. I got through. I got my bachelor's degree. Somebody said, why don't you go to grad school? I said, grad school? I can't go to grad school. Are you kidding? I'm smart enough to get into grad school. So I became a lab tech, and I was in the, I was in the lab, and I was doing experiments, and I was writing papers, and I, I was there all the time, and I was working, and I was, I was doing better than the grad students, and my major professor said, you need to go to grad school. I said, I can't get into grad school. She goes, oh, yeah, you can. Really? Okay, I'll apply. No confidence. I didn't think I could do something like that. Got into grad school. What happened again? Start at the bottom. Work up. Went to a company. Start at the bottom. Work up. Started as a research scientist. Wanted to be a senior scientist. Wanted to be a manager. Wanted to be a director. Wanted to be a VP. Wanted to be a president. Can I be a president? I'm from Delano, California. For God's sakes, yes, I can. Because I wanted it. And I stayed at it, and I didn't stop. I didn't have straight A's. I didn't go to MIT. My parents weren't rich, and it didn't make a damn bit of difference. And when I sit with other CEOs and presidents, and I talk to them, and I say, where are you from? Oh, I'm from this small town in Iowa. I'm from this small town in South Dakota. I went to a high school with 100 people. I'm like, wow, you're the president of Clorox, and you went to school with 100 people? You're the president of Frito-Lay, and you came from a small town in Iowa, and you worked on, you, you cultivated soybeans, and you're the president of Frito-Lay? Let me tell you, the, the, the A's work for the C's. You know what? Think about your grades. The A's work for the C's. That's been a phrase around for a long time, which means just because you got A's doesn't, isn't going to put you at the top of that company. What's going to put you at the top of that company is drive and determination and wanting it and not letting anybody get in your way. If you would have told me that I would become the president and CEO of a company in San Diego, that I would build that company from no people to 700 employees, that we would be the top clinical lab testing leukemia and lymphoma samples in the United States and would have told me that we would have sold that company to Novartis Pharmaceuticals, one of the largest companies in the world. For a half billion dollars, I would have told you you were crazy. And guess what? That's exactly what I did, and I plan to do it again because I want it, and I want to help patients, and I want to make this world a better place. And if you have that, you can do anything you want to do. So girls, there's lots of jobs in science. 
You don't just have to be a bench scientist. You can go out and you can do marketing. You can do you can do public relations. You can do sales. You can do so many things in healthcare to give back to this world. And you can do whatever you want to do. So just go do it. And don't get in your way. And I know you can do it because I'm proof of that. And let me tell you, I'm not the most brilliant person in the world, but I can outwork anybody. Why? Because I want it. So good luck to you girls. Go kick ass and remember what I told you, okay? So I'm going to take some questions and answers. There's a microphone right here up at the top of the stairs. Don't be shy. And if you'd like to ask me a question, please go get on the microphone. Girls, girls, come on. Girls, this is another way you don't get ahead, is sitting in your chair and saying, I wish I could get up and I say a question, but I'm embarrassed to get up and say a question. Girls, get up, ask a question. Come on. Here she comes. There's that brave girl. That girl's going to be a CEO right there. Yes. Hi. My Hi. name is Ofri Avgil. Um, what was the most difficult thing that you dealt with while doing this? I, I dealt with a lot of difficult things. There's no question. So it started in school trying to get through these classes and get myself up to where everybody else was. It was very difficult to compete with others for jobs. It was very difficult to be a mother of two small children and to be working full time. But that's what I wanted, and I did it. It was very difficult at times to raise money for our companies because the times were tough, and I wasn't sure if we were going to raise the money, and I wasn't sure if we were really going to make it and be able to make that payroll. And there's been tough times and tough times, and there's always tough times, and you just work through them and stick with it. And anyone who thinks there aren't tough times is really making a mistake. And congratulations to you for getting up and asking the first questions because you're a rock star, and you're yeah. beautiful, and I know you'll do great. Thank you. I'm Sherry Gudez, and Sherry. I was wondering that if you were able to go back in time and tell your like younger self, what would you tell her? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, um, wow, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I'm glad that I didn't know what I know now then, you know, because I think sometimes people look at the end point too much. They go, I want to be an X, and they forget about the journey. And it's really the journey of going from where you start with where you are today to where you're my age and you're doing what you're doing that is the most fun. And so I guess the one thing I would say is work hard, play hard, enjoy the journey, don't give up, and, um, you know, expect tough times too. It's okay. I think that's what I'd say. Thank you for asking. Rockstar number three. Hello. So my name is Salma. So my question is, was it hard for you to move out of town, like go to a place where you, you don't know anyone, you're just alone? Yes. As a matter of fact, I'm glad you asked that question because I will tell you a story. So back to my yellow Camaro, right? So I get in my yellow Camaro. My parents are following me to college. I am so excited to leave, to leave town. I am so excited to get away from my, you know, dumb parents. I am so excited to be on my own. And what happened when they left me at college? I thought I was going to die. I was sad, sad, sad. 
and I missed everybody, and I missed my dumb parents, and I missed that dumb dinner, and I missed them telling me what to do, and I missed my dumb sisters and brothers, and I missed it all, and I missed my hometown, and I missed my friends, and I couldn't believe. I thought, what the heck did I do? So I was very sad, and the first couple weeks were tough, really tough, and I got on the phone, and I called my dad, and I said, Dad, I don't like it here, and I want to come home, and I'm going to go to the local junior college, and I get to be home, and I'm really, really sad and miserable. And he said, Tina, he said, okay, we'll do that. He says, but I have one favor to ask you. I said, sure. He says, will you give it another month? And if at the end of that month you still feel the way you do, we'll talk about it. I said, okay, okay. And I said, that's a deal. And I hung up, and I was kind of teary. And one month later, the conversation never came up again. I loved it. I got into it. I made new friends. Yeah, you have to work at it. And I know you're not going to believe this. I'm shy. Ha ha. You're laughing. But I was. I learned how to not be such an introvert and become an extrovert over time because that's how you survive is having friends and support systems. And it does take time and it's hard. And you guys are all going to feel that way when you go away. Everybody does. Everybody does. But if you stick with it, you have a new life, and it's pretty awesome. It's a big transition going from being a senior in high school to going to college, and everyone goes through it. So just hang in there. Thank you for asking that. Hi, my name is Savannah. Hi. Um, so along like your way, were there any times where you kind of were stressed and you almost wanted to give up throughout like your journey? Oh, gosh, Absolutely. Oh, yes. You know, I mean, oh, gosh, yeah. You know, I usually kept the, I I tried to reserve the crying for when I was in my car and not at the company. Um, But there were, there were moments. Oh, absolutely. When you're just like, I've taken on too much. Why am I doing all this? I'm tired. I'm burned out. Um, Oh, absolutely. And then I just always thought about the end, thought about the end product. Why am I doing this? I want to do something good for patients. And that's my driver, has always been my driver. And once you put it in that perspective, everything else really doesn't matter. I mean, at my last company, when we would get like four or 500 samples a day in the lab to test for leukemia and lymphoma patients, and you would see they come in a FedEx box from all these doctors all over the United States. And you think you had a bad day, and then you walk in there, and you look at those four or 500 boxes and you say, wow, you know what? All those people today are going to find out they have cancer. Yeah. And usually they do because by the time they've gotten to that box, the doctor pretty much suspects that they have cancer, right? They've already been to their general practitioner. They've been sent to a specialist. They've gone to an oncologist. And by the time they decide to take a bone marrow sample, they're usually pretty sure. All those people are going to find out they have cancer today. Did I have a bad day? No. I didn't have a bad day. I've got my health. I've got a great life. And as long as you always put it in perspective, that helps you get through those tough days. But they'll be there. Thank you for asking that question. Thank you so much. I have time for just one more question. Sorry, because I have to run. I apologize. Woman on the go. (laughs) Hi, my name is Emerald. My question is for you. Do you have any plans for the future? Plans for the future? Absolutely. Okay, so first of all, I have to give away that I'm 62 years old. Yes, I feel like I'm 20 because I have more energy today than I had when I was 20, and that's the truth. 
And why? Because I love what I do. I love, love, love what I do. And I never plan to stop. And people say, Tina, you're starting a new company? What are you starting a new company for? Why don't you retire? I'm like, huh? What's that word? Huh? I don't like that word. I could sit on the beach for a day. I could clean my house for another day in my closet. That'd be really good. Then what would I do? Hmm. That wouldn't be so good. I love what I do. I get up in the morning and I'm so excited to go to the office. I'm so excited to be thinking about these scientific problems that we think about and solve them. I don't want to stop contributing. So at 62, I'm starting a brand new company. You bet I have plans for the future. I plan to come back here when I'm 100 and give this speech again. How's that? (laughs) My grandmother lived to 106. I may make it. Thank you. So we're going to move on with one of our newest members, um, well, by our standards, our newest member to the um, Salk Institute, uh, Janelle Ayers, and I'm sure she's going to have a great story for you guys. Okay, so thank you, Ellen, for that introduction. I want to thank Steve and Ellen and Donna for the invitation to be here today. And um, Tina, I I want to give her another round of applause for... A very inspiring talk. I wish I, I knew somebody like her when I was uh, growing up and at your age and deciding what I wanted to do with my life. And, and I think you'll see a common theme amongst all of us as we're talking. The, the, the theme is you can do anything you want. You just have to have the drive and the dedication and be willing to put in the hard work to achieve those goals. You can do anything. I'm another girl from a small town. I don't come from um, a family where they're college graduates. I drove a Firebird, which is uh, similar to uh, Tina's Camaro from General Motors. So there's a lot of similarities. So I just want to show you, um, tell you about some of the work that we're doing in my lab, and I'm assistant professor here. Um, And what I wanted was to have my own research lab so that I can ask questions and I can do research to help Humanity and to help humanity by treating diseases. And so I'll tell you uh, the way we're doing that. I think it's a very exciting and creative way we're doing it. And as my title gives away, we use poop to uh, to get at our goals. So here's our uh, our tool that we use in the lab. And I put up here while most see poop, I see opportunity. I see opportunity when I look at this poop and the many different ways we can leverage it to treat diseases. Now, why, why do I see an opportunity here? And the reason is because what we can't see is that there's trillions of bacteria and viruses and fungus that are living in poop in all of you. At any one time, you have trillions of what we would call microbes living in you. So that many cells That's 10 times more bacterial cells than there are human cells in your body. So we're more bacteria than we are humans. And if we think of genetic material, there's 100 times more bacterial genetic material on our bodies than there are our own DNA. There's thousands of different bacterial species that are living in our intestines at any one time. And I like to say this during the holiday season, 
The uh, trillion of bacteria living on us uh, contributes to three pounds of our total body weight. So these are microbes that we need for our health. So when you're trying to lose your, those pesky few pounds at the end of the holidays, reconsider because you don't want to lose these guys. So although these bacteria are living in your intestines, they, um, they play crucial roles for our health um, on all aspects of our body. So the, the most obvious one would be they're living in our guts, so they're important for our digestion of our food. But we also know that they're important for our brain health, they're important for our immune system, they contribute to healthy metabolism, and they can contribute to our behavior, our feeding behavior, our sleeping behavior. So they really have a huge impact on our health. And um, there's been a lot of um, attention that's been given to this uh, bacterial community in recent years because there's been a number of correlative studies to suggest that um, changes in the composition, again, there's thousands of different microbial species, and it's a very set composition that we've evolved to have. And if there are changes in that composition, for example, if you eat a high-fat diet or if you take antibiotics, that's going to cause changes in the composition, the levels of the different species, and that could um, impact your health. And so there's correlative studies to demonstrate that changes in the the bacterial composition can uh, lead to a variety of diseases, including inflammatory bowel disease, autism, depression, asthma, arthritis, as well as infections. And so in my lab, we want to understand these different uh, members of the mic- what we call the microbiota. We want to understand how different species of the microbiota impact different um, aspects of our health and how we can leverage these bacteria uh, to treat diseases. And so I told you this is a very complex microbial community, a thousand different species, trillions of different uh, bacteria living there. So how can we study individual microbes to understand their individual uh, contribution to health? with such a complex community. And so in my lab, we're taking, um, I think, a very unique approach, a very exciting approach. And basically what we do is uh, we've developed what we call a germ-free mouse facility. So we use mice as a model human in our lab to study health and disease. But on the right-hand side, we basically have generated sterile mice. These mice do not have a microbiota at all. They're completely void of microbes. And they live inside of these bubbles And we work with these animals in these, um, you can see the uh, Michelle at the top, she sticks her hand in these gloves, and they're living in a completely sterile environment. And so what we can do is we can take these completely sterile mice, we can give them a particular microbe, and then see how that microbe impacts disease. And we can begin to to, uh, think about how we can develop therapeutics based on uh, these studies. And we've recently, this is just one example of what we're doing and how we're using these um, these germ-free mice. We've recently discovered um, an E. coli. When we think of E. coli, we typically think of uh, alfalfa sprouts that are contaminated or meat from fast food that's contaminated. But on you right now are many, many good E. coli's, okay? So they're not just bad, there are good E. coli's too. And I would venture to say that most E. coli's are actually beneficial for our health. And so what we did in the lab is we discovered an E. coli that lives in in poop, and we found that if we give it to animals that have a variety of diseases, so the E. coli is 
this pink one on the left. Um, if we give it to animals that are infected with uh, salmonella, which many of you have heard about, we can basically cure the animals from that infection by giving them this good E. coli. And on the right is um, a bacteria that causes pneumonia. And similarly, if we give uh, mice the same E. coli, if they're infected with pneumonia, we can c cure them from that disease. So this is just one of the ways that we're using um, this uh, poop to to treat disease. And so I just want to um, end the scientific part of my talk with um, just telling you the many different diseases that we're um, exploring and how we can use poop to treat these diseases. So we're looking at the microbiome to, uh, to uh, treat car cardiac dysfunction as well as inflammatory diseases. There's um, correlative studies to demonstrate that uh, specific components of the microbiota can cause obesity, so we want or, and type two diabetes. So we want to understand that more. We're looking at how it can impact cancer as well as blood disorders during infectious diseases, for example, with malaria, um, and also respiratory distress. And um, so I just want to um, spend a, a couple, my last few minutes talking about how I got here. Um, I'm also, again, from a small town. When I, I'm from Livermore, California. It's in the, the east, east of San Francisco. And when I was growing up, there were only two exits for it off the freeway. It's grown a little bit, but it was very small when I was living there. Um, I am a first-generation American. My parents are not from here. Both my parents were um, English as second language students growing up. And I come from a working class family. I had no college graduates in my family. And really, college was never discussed. I, in, in my family, it was never discussed. And I certainly never had opportunities to, to experience um, something like this that you young ladies are very fortunate to be a part of. We didn't have guidance counselors at my high school, so it really was never um, anything that I considered. But what my parents did tell me was, Set goals and work hard to meet them. You have to always be dedicated to working hard. And once you've met those goals, don't stop there. Set new ones and work hard until you've met those goals. And my dad used to always say to me, never say I can't, because you can. You can do anything that you want to do. You just have to want it, and you have to know that it's going to take hard work to get there. I wanted to go to UC Berkeley as an undergrad, and I loved biology, and I wanted to major in biology at UC Berkeley, and I got into UC Berkeley. But it was hard. I had to work full-time while I was taking full-time courses at Berkeley. And um, to save money, I worked for, or I lived at home. So I had a two-and-a-half-hour commute each day. So it, was, uh, it wasn't an easy road. But I'm happy to say that I, I succeeded at Berkeley. I graduated with a 4.0. I was one of the top graduating um, seniors of my class. I then went on to get my PhD at Stanford, and I won the top uh, PhD thesis project at Stanford. I then went on to do what's called postdoctoral training at UC Berkeley, and now I have my own lab at the Salk Institute where I'm, I get to do what I've always wanted to do, and I'm around brilliant scientists, and now I get to reach out to students like you. So you just have to want it, and you can do anything. 
and I will stop there, and I can take some questions. And I was just wondering how you make the mice germ-free. Like, what is the process you take, and how long does it take? That's a very good question. So the, um, the first germ-free mice, they were taken by uh, basically cesarean section. So you take them out. They're, when they're in utero, it's a sterile environment. So you take them by cesarean section, and then they're put into those bubbles. Okay, they're passed through the back side. We dip them in a chemical sterilant that's safe for them, and we put, pass them through. And then the very first ones were nursed to adulthood by technicians. Okay? Now what we do, now that we already have germ-free mice that exist, what we can do is we can still take them by cesarean section, pass them through into these bubbles, but we'll um, have germ-free moms already in there that can foster them and nurse them to adulthood. Thank you. Hi, I'm Arshana. And I just wanted to know that like, when you're working full-time and being a full-time student, was there anything besides meeting your goal that kind of served as motivation to like, get through the hard times? And I, so a strong driver of my motivation, I, it will sound maybe cheesy, but it was making my parents proud. I really wanted to make my parents proud. Um, so I think for me that was, that was it. It was never money or fame or anything. It was, I, it was making my parents proud, having this desire to possibly help people that are sick, and um, just having a curiosity for how things work. I love that my job is I get to go to work every day and think about how things work pose a hypothesis and then design an experiment and test it and see if I'm right or not. And it doesn't feel like work to me. It's, it's a lifestyle that I love, and I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Thanks. Hey, I'm Rama. And my question is, what inspired you the most in your career? What inspired me the most? So... I think what I can tell you what inspires me now is being at an amazing institution like this and having absolutely brilliant colleagues that um, that just push the boundaries and that inspires me to keep pushing the boundaries and i I think that's probably a theme I can say has been true throughout my career. It was my mentors and college and graduate school and and how brilliant they were and them pushing me to push boundaries and and now being at the Salk is a similar feel which I think is what Jonas's uh, plan for the Institute was For soon. Um, I was wondering if the work you did during your uh, grad school and postdoctoral work was similar to what you're doing right now. Yeah, so that's a very good question. Um, so in my graduate work, I worked with fruit flies. Um, fruit flies are a great model human. Um, you can do genetics in them much easier than you can in some other model systems. And in graduate school, I 
use the fruit fly to develop some concepts for infectious diseases and um, immunity against infections. And then I took those concepts with me to grad or to do my postdoc and um, wanted to learn the mouse intestine and mouse genetics and the, the microbiota. And now in my own lab, I, I do it all. We, we do fruit flies, we do germ-free mice, we do regular mice, we do uh, infectious diseases, good microbes, we, we do it all. Um, which is another benefit to being at Salk because they never put boundaries on what we do. We, they push us to do to many different things. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'll introduce the, the moderator. Yes. yes. So we have Malena. She's a senior at Torrey Pines High School, and she's going to be the moderator for the panel discussion. So first I'd like to thank everyone for coming, all of the high school students and all of the scientists who are helping, and then also thank Susan Gwynn, who um, gave me the opportunity to be here and work as the moderator. Um, So basically how this is going to work is I'll introduce each of the panelists, they'll speak for a little bit, and then I'll ask a question after everyone has spoken, and then I open it up and you guys can ask questions. So the first person I'd like to introduce is Carol Marchetto. Um, She received her doctorate in genetics in 2005 from the University of Sao Paulo and now works as a senior staff scientist at the Salk Institute. She looks at neurons in chimps, monkeys, and bonobos, and then also compares those to neurons in humans. She is also a mentor to postdocs and high school students during the March of Dimes High School Science Day. Oh, I'm Carol Machetto. I'm happy to be here. I uh, remember when I was um, maybe a little bit younger than you guys, I had a wonderful science teacher. Uh, she was called Sylvia. I'll never forget her. And she had this very inspiring way to teach. That she made science uh, so fun and accessible. And uh, since then, I would always, I think I I just got the bug, literally, and uh, I loved science since. And, um, but then uh, I was, I'm I'm Brazilian, I was born in Brazil, and uh, also don't come from a very, very uh, uh, rich family at all, and um, college wasn't very uh, uh, popular in my family, too. Uh, But I really liked science. So, I went to the, the the way I started was by liking science, and they do science in the university, and science is biology, and so I started to uh, ask questions to people. How do we, uh, how do you, what what can I do to be a science? I like science, and um, I I think that's another interesting uh, way to go about uh, um, science too is just to ask questions. If you see someone that inspire you, or if you listen to a talk that is interesting, just write to this person or talk to this person. Just reach out and uh, find mentors. People can can share a lot and teach a lot, and 
uh, we we here. I think I'm sure most of us are very uh, inspired and accessible. I I'm always open to talk and discuss. Um, a little bit about my research. Uh, so I um, went to University of São Paulo, Brazil, and then again, is one of those things people would say Harvard. And people ask me, I I I did my PhD University of São Paulo, Brazil, and not not many people know about it. And um, so when I came to the SOC, I liked the research that was done in. Rusty Gage Lab, and I just uh, took an opportunity of a trip that was uh, um, that I ended up coming to San Diego, and I came to his lab, and uh, I said, "I really like what you do. Um, would you mind if I uh, uh, volunteer or stay here for a while?" Or do? and he said, "Oh, okay, maybe." just work as a volunteer for a while. And I worked as a volunteer for one year. <laughs> and uh, I, of course, didn't have much money. Of course, had to work different uh, uh, um, jobs. And uh, it was wonderful. I never, it was, I never, com never complained. Oh, no more. <laughs> um, just real quick on my research. Uh, we uh, this, we started to work on. Um, I always wanted to help uh, uh, and understand um, biology and understand basic questions of what makes us human, for instance. And uh, one of the ways we did that was looking at brain cells from um, non-human primates, which are uh, chimpanzees, bonobos, and other uh, apes and monkeys. So now uh, part of, our, of the research I'm involved with is to look at understanding how brain cells from us behave in the dish and how brain cells from chimpanzees and bonobos behave in the dish, and we compare them. And we do the same with uh, patients that have neurological diseases, such as autism and schizophrenia. We don't, of course, we don't carve in the brain and take the brain cells, but we use a technology, new technology that has been discovered a few years ago, maybe five years ago, by a researcher called Chinaya Yamanaka. They got the Nobel Prize for that. I'm almost done. And he... Uh, <laughs> He differentiated, he uh, uh, discovered the technology where you take a skin cell and you trick the cell into a brain cell uh, or a pluripotent state where you can then push the cells to be a brain cell. And so now we can compare in a dish brain cells from uh, uh, different patients and uh, individuals that don't have the disease as well as chimpanzees and bonobos and humans and see how similar, how different they are. So next I'd like to introduce um, Dr. Natalie Kalatayud. She's a researcher in reproductive physiology at the San Diego Zoo Global. She, um, her main research focuses on the recovery and reintroduction of critically endangered mountain yellow-legged frog. She earned her bachelor's in zoology from the University of Manchester and then earned her doctorate in reproductive physiology and molecular biology of marsupials at Melbourne University. Thank you. 
So I only have four minutes. I'm going to try and tell you exactly how I got here as fast as I can. Um, I was driving down here, and yesterday my colleague Caitlin and I were discussing what we were going to wanted to tell you about our existence in essence, which is science. Um, and I thought back to how I decided what I was going to do with my life. And I know there's been another version of Dr. Doolittle by... Um, What's his name? Can't remember. Eddie Murphy. Thank you. But for those of you who don't know this, the original Dr. Doolittle dates way, way back. And as a child, I watched this movie with an actor called Rex Harris, who's long, long dead. And uh, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to be able to talk to animals, communicate with animals, and share an existence and an interaction with animals? It sounds funny that I may find frogs particularly interesting and, and creatures that you can interact with. I think they're adorable, but that's just me. Um, I started off, um, as you were told, I, I went to the University of Manchester in the UK. I'm actually half British, but I grew up in Mexico. My father is Mexican. So I was lucky enough to have a very diverse upbringing um, I speak two languages, and it's opened my, my existence to, to, to being brought up with two very different points of view. Um, fortunately, two very different ways of cooking. Um, and, yeah, yeah, the Mexican is way better. Um, so how I got here was kind of interesting because when I left undergrad, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I was like, I love zoology. Well, what do I do? I, I'm not entirely sure. And uh, a friend of mine was living in San Diego. She said, well, why don't you come up here? I was hanging out for a couple of months, you know, bum around, take a break. And I went, okay. So I weaseled my way into the San Diego Zoo, the Institute for Conservation Research, and I met Dr. Barbara Durant, who is still the head of reproductive physiology. And really, she gave me the inspiration that I needed to then, 13 years later, end up back working for her. And I've come full circle because of a woman who taught me a lot of stuff, you know. She taught me my love for reproductive physiology, and she absolutely rides my ass every day. And she's impossible and she makes my eye twitch a lot of the time and I know you're filming this so let's not show her this but she is instrumental and has been instrumental in the making of me and to be able to bring amphibians back from, from the state of extinction that they're at is even if it's one species at a time is very gratifying You know, we breed them, we watch them grow we handle them and we put them back. And so my job is very rewarding in that I see everything happen from beginning to end. And like I said, it's one species, but it's one species at a time. And so that's it. That's Next, I'd like to introduce Caitlin Croyle. Um, she is a grad student at CSU San Marcos and a research associate in reproductive physiology at San Diego Zoo Global. She specializes in avian and chelonian egg fertility assessment and the enhancement of avian reproduction using hormone therapy. Great, thank you. It's such an honor to be here. And yes, I do have glasses, but I don't think that they're nerdy. I think they're very stylish. 
So, um, you know, I had a little bit of a different background than some of the other women that you've heard from. I actually grew up the daughter of a psychology professor, so I think it was only natural that I ended up involved in science. Um, we sp I spent many hours growing up at the University of Utah hanging out with the graduate students, um, often being their guinea pig for experiments. And I think I knew my interests really early on. Um, I loved animals. And I practically had a zoo in my backyard. Um, and growing up, I kind of thought, okay, well, you love animals, you become a veterinarian. That's kind of the only career that I knew of at the time. And so my journey uh, didn't happen overnight, uh, but it ended up being able to bring me to the San Diego Zoo Institute for Conservation Research and be able to combine my passion for science um, with my love for animals. So after high school, I was on the veterinarian track and went to the University of Maryland and joined the animal science department. Um, but while I was there, uh, my biology in my biology class, it kind of sparked, again, my interest in science and being in a lab, and it almost felt like my home away from home. Um, so what I was encouraged to do by my professor is to kind of look for internship opportunities um, so I could maybe solidify my interest in wanting to be in a lab and doing research. So that's exactly what I did, and I applied for a lot of internships. Um, one thing I will tell you is if you don't get the first one, don't give up. Keep applying. You eventually will get the internship that you want. Um, so I spent two summers at the National Cancer Institute at the Laboratory of Tumor Immunology and Biology, and during those two summers, I helped to develop a vaccine for prostate cancer. And although I loved those two summers and they were incredibly inspiring, I really missed my animal interaction and working with animals. So once you're in college, you'll realize that a lot of the local businesses are looking for part-time students. So I started working um, weekends at an animal hospital. And after three years of being a veterinary technician at an animal hospital, I knew, I, yes, I loved being around animals, but I had a really, really hard time working with sick animals emotionally. Um, but while I was there, I met a really incredibly inspiring woman, Dr. Aiken Palmer, and she actually uh, was working with the Smithsonian in their giant panda reproduction program. And while she was getting her PhD at University of Maryland, she was working weekends as a veterinarian. And after spending a lot of time with her and hearing about all her adventures in China, I, a light bulb went off and I thought, I have to. This is the woman that I want to be. I need to figure out how I can travel to China and have adventures. And she encouraged me to get any experience that I possibly could. So I um, ended up spending weekends at a human fertility clinic to gain experience in reproduction. And that kind of segued into me applying for the reproductive physiology um, summer internship at the San Diego Zoo for... Uh, San Diego Zoo Institute for Conservation Research. And it's a 12-week internship, but I had just graduated from University of Maryland. Um, so I packed up all my stuff in my car, drove out to Maryland, uh, drove out to California, permanently moved out here, and everyone thought I was totally insane. They said, this is a 12-week internship, and you literally packed up your entire life and moved to California. Um, but I was determined to make it work. 
And in the end, I got really lucky. At the end of my 12-week internship, uh, Dr. Tom Jensen was able to come up with some extra grant money to hire me on part-time. And while I've now been an employee there working with turtles and actually have had the chance to go to China for my own adventure working with the Yangtze giant softshell turtle, um, have been able to work on my uh, graduate program at Cal State San Marcos. Um, and thank you so much for having me, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. I'd like to reintroduce Janelle Ayers, um, assistant professor in the NOMIS Foundation Laboratories for Immunobiology and Microbial Pathogenesis at the Salk Institute. Um, now I'll ask my one question of all of the panelists, and then it's open to you guys to ask questions. So all of you guys have talked a little bit about mentors and people who have inspired you, and often they're crucial to going into a certain field. Um, could you talk about one mentor who was significantly influential in your career choice? And if thinking back at what they told you, what's one thing that you would pass on to the students who are sitting here today? Okay, so I, I will begin. I, I think one of the most important mentors I had, who still is acts as a mentor to me now, is uh, my PhD advisor, at Stanford, uh, Dr. David Schneider. So David um, is very, he's a very innovative scientist and is not afraid to challenge basic assumptions. There's a lot of assumptions that are made in science and um, a lot of times if you, if you challenge those assumptions, it could ruffle the feathers of other scientists and, and they tell you don't do that. Uh, but you should do that. <laughs> because it's the only way to move fields forward and to make new discoveries. And uh, David, I think, I don't know if he taught me that, but gave me the confidence to do it. And, um, and so I, I still do it, and I tell all the people in my lab uh, to do that and try to push them to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll go next. Um, I'll go back to my um, science teacher, Sylvia. Uh, we, I was uh, about to finish. I, I had, I think, two or three years with the same uh, with her, and then she taught uh, part-time classes uh, that I took to, and uh, I told her that um, my dad really wanted me to uh, do um, a law school or engineering or something that is more looks like a, a formal profession instead of like science. And, uh, and, and of course, in Brazil, that wasn't that popular at that time, too. And um, she said, you know what? You should just do something that you like, because if you don't, uh, it doesn't, you can have all the money in the world and it, it won't do it. And uh, it, it's something that uh, sticks to me until today, which is I, I do what I like. I really do what I like. And there is nothing that can, can pay that other than the seven. And, and then the money comes, or you, you'll be, it happens. It, it happens much more naturally than if you, if you force it. So just go inside and find what, what is it that you like and just follow that and let anyone want it. So that's it. Uh, 
Um, I think, again, Dr. Durant, um, it's not really a one-time comment, but usually she'll say to me is, um, Natalie, it's not about you. Okay. <laughs> um, so what that means is quit your, quit your whining and get back to work because ultimately conservation isn't about us. It's about everything else. And having decimated the planet the way we have, I think it's important that we put back. So once she said that to me, of course, she just meant directly quit your whining. However, if we take it in the universal context, then I think it also applies that it's not about me. And so whenever I get frustrated or I want to give up, and somebody had asked that question earlier, and I do, I mean, it's, it's not rare that people come in my office and I'm like... <clears throat> But the truth is you can't give up because if you give up, then you'll never forgive yourself, right? So, and things that are worth it don't come easily. So you just, you just stick at it and you take the good days and you enjoy them and you take the bad days and I'm not going to really tell you what I do when I get home on a bad day, but, um, but you, you laugh about it and you take it in your stride and the next day you get a good night's rest and probably you'll fix it the next day and it'll be fine, you know? So just take it easy. <laughs> um, I would say my greatest mentor was definitely my father, Dr. Robert Croyle. Um, and his best advice to me was figure out what you love, what makes you happy and turn that into a career because when you do what you love, it won't feel like work but also to use the connections you have and maintain them. If you think you might want to be a marine biologist and that's what your neighbor does, don't be afraid to ask them to, hey, can I come to work and shadow you for a day? See if that's really what you want to do. Get your foot in the door and get, get, get as many experiences as you can as possible in the career paths that you might think you're interested in. You'll be surprised um, what you might enjoy once you're actually in that lab or in the hospital um, experiencing it hands-on. So now anyone else who has questions, you can go to the microphone in the middle and then ask a question of one of the speakers. This question was mainly for Ms. Janelle. Um, earlier when you were talking about your, I guess, how you got here, and you were talking about your two-and-a-half-hour drive, all of that. <laughs> That's what I said every day doing the drive, yeah. Aside from the regular, the end point of your whole destination, your journey, what else, what was the personal mindset that you had to continue? Yeah, it, it's, um, it was tough, you know, commuting two and a half hours a day. is It's not a way to live for anybody, especially a student. I think it, it, makes, it makes an already challenging situation even harder. Um, it was... My mindset was at the time it's it's what I had to do to meet my goal, um, and that sounds simple, but that's that's really what it was. That was what I had to do. I couldn't afford to uh, live closer to campus, so it was free rent. I, I took it. Um, 
would I do things differently now? I might have taken um, a loan out <laughs> to make life a little easier. Um, but it's, it's hard to, you know, I made personal sacrifices. I didn't have much of a life. It was work and school, and, and that was it. Um, but it's, it's hard to complain given the end result, I, I, where I'm, I want to be, and I couldn't be happier where I'm at. So, Thank you so much. What's it like working in a field that's perceived to be very male-dominant? And how do you like go through those stereotypes and stuff? Uh, actually, interestingly enough, I think the ratio of men at the Institute to women is probably like two percent. Oh, it's mainly females. Yeah, we we we're mainly women at the institute now. There's there's fewer men in. I'm not entirely sure why that is. Maybe it's the specific types of paths of science that that um, the different sexes like to take. I, I don't know. Maybe we you know uh, we like playing with animals a little bit more. I, I I don't know. But yeah, actually, the institute is primarily women these days. So that's not always a good thing, by the way. I mean, you know, diversity is a great thing, and that includes bringing both sexes into the picture, I think. You know, we challenge each other in different ways. So, But otherwise, we have a pretty nice little sisterhood going on, I think. So, I think that in most areas of science, uh, uh, the, the, what you point out is true. There is, is male-dominated. I think um, one of the ways we can help increase the diversity as in bring more women into the system into, is doing uh, uh, events like the ones we are doing now. It ideally would excite more girls to think it's okay because if we don't start breaking the dogma, the dogma will never be broken so that you never bring people uh, uh, to science. And I think another good way to do that, and I think most of us do that, is to support other women. So I'm always open to if uh, a student, a woman student, comes to me and say, "I have this uh, thing. I, I, I want to get pregnant, but I don't want to stop working." So those those type of questions, they didn't need to be discussed before because it was mostly male dominated. And I think once you start bringing more and more women to the picture. Maybe you need to change the, the, the discussion and bring other, for instance, childcare in the workplace. I think those questions need to be reassessed now. Maybe that, that's one way to go and also just bring the dialogue, talk more about it. Yeah, I, I have to say that I, I don't feel like it's neg it, I'm not really aware of it on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, it's male-dominated, but um, I don't... I feel very supported by my male mentors and male colleagues all along the way. It's never been an issue for me. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, this just happened by chance, not by choice. My lab is entirely females. Um, so, But I do agree that balance of the genders is always a better thing. Um, I will say what what I have experienced is the stereotype of what a female scientist should look like, 
And um, that comes from both men and women, and they're thought to look a certain way. And if you deviate from that, people tend to raise an eyebrow at you, but you just have to prove them wrong, that there's no set way that a scientist should look, as Tina said, where we look like everything. So, Thank you. Hello, my name is Ari, and I've noticed that most of you work with animals, and I was wondering if when you do research on the animals, you treat them humanely and with respect. Yeah, so I can um, answer on the, the research side of it. We have an animal use committee uh, that I actually am a part of that we evaluate. Every, there isn't a single study that's done without it being evaluated by this committee first, and we ensure that everything is done humanely. And there's um, you know, steps and uh, things in place after the protocol approval to make sure that researchers are adhering to to the humane policies and guidelines. I mean, um, I just have one comment about that. Um, actually, last week I was in uh, Mexico and somebody asked a similar question in a, at a conference, kind of like this. It was university students. And one of the talks had been given, had been by a professor who was advocating um, hunting as a a good way to conserve other species. And the reason for that was because by maintaining deer in a certain area, you were using them as umbrella species to conserve the habitat. And that in itself conserved the other species in the area. And so, you know, this student got up and went, so um, Mr. Professor, uh, so what you're telling me is to conserve, we should hunt. And he, he said, how many people in the audience are vegetarians? How many people in this audience are vegetarians? Right. Actually, there's about the same in Mexico. That was about the same. So in actual fact, scientific research, um, as Janelle mentioned, is, has to adhere to very strict what we call IACUC, which are animal ethics approvals. And we have our institutions, every institution has a committee, and it's made up of a multiple panel of people, vets, keepers, other researchers, uh, lay people, and in actual fact, scientific research has to adhere to very strict guidelines for the humane use of animals. Um, in much more strict guidelines, probably, than most um, industry that farms animals for food. So really, I think particularly in this day and age, we, we appreciate that most animals have have to be looked after in this way. You don't just go around poking them and hoping for the best. And so even with things like reintroducing animals into the wild, which you would think would be pretty straightforward, right? Because we're just putting them back. We still have to have approval for that. We have to plan where we're going to put them. We have to explain how we're going to monitor them, what the repercussions of putting them out will be, how it will affect the species as a whole. So we spend a lot of time actually planning our animal ethics um, proposals and yeah, we we have to. It's it's pretty strict. So, hi, my name is Denise. Uh, this is for Janelle. Um, what is an obstacle that you encountered while developing your lab? 
Oh, there's so many. <laughs> well, you can just say one. <laughs> I, um, I think, so one thing in this whole process to getting to the, the point that I'm at is we're not trained to manage people. We're trained to be scientists. And, um, and then you, you get your own lab, and, and then you have to staff the lab. You have to get people in. And you have to learn quickly how to manage people. And, and I don't think there's any clear-cut way to do that. What I've learned is that, is that there is no single way to manage people. You really have to personalize it to... Uh, be an effective mentor for every person in the lab and and learn how each person works and um, tailor your mentoring for that person to to make them be the best that they could be so um, that's probably been the most challenging and yeah okay thank you mm-hmm. Hi, my name is Alicia. Um, I had a question for Natalie and Caitlin. Um, how did you get into the critically endangered species conservation, and what kind of, um, I guess, extracurricular activities should I do to kind of get into that? Um, a lot of volunteer work. I spent time at the Turner Endangered Species Fund doing some bulls and tortoise uh, conservation work even after I was hired on as a research associate. So the volunteer work and the experience you should try to get should never end. Um, And then I started volunteering really early with animals and in hospitals and in research facilities, Um, even as early as a sophomore in high school at the local Humane Society. So really I would encourage you to get any kind of hands-on animal experience. I know that locally Project Wildlife takes volunteers um, as well as Fun for Animals up in Ramona. Thank you. Hi, um, my question is for Carol and Natalie, and it's because you're from a different country, um, did you have like a different perspective here, and did it ever um, affect your work when you first moved here, like adjusting? So the, the very good thing about the Salk Institute is it's already a very diverse community so there are and and that's true for most of the universities in science so so science unify people from different places because you don't necessarily have to look and as long as you have a passion for science it's very inclusive that way uh i I have worked with uh, uh, people that have accents from all kinds of places and that's very interesting too because um now, when we have to speak science, it becomes English, no matter how where, where you come from, where you talk. So that it's, I, I find it uh, sometimes more. I feel more comfortable being a foreigner in a science community than when I am outside the science community. So if I had any challenges when I moved, was they, they came from not not from the science world itself or, or the institute or the, the university, but more uh, on the cultural aspects of the, the of, of United States. So um, example, in Brazil, you hug everybody and you hug very tight 
and you kiss <laughs> and you, you touch people. <laughs> and, and when I came here, my first, and I'm like excited about my first uh, um, uh, thing that I would do, I was always like open my arms. <laughs> and I, I noticed people really <laughs> like. And it's interesting because nowadays when I go back to Brazil, I find that they're always touching me and always kissing me. And so I'm like, do you, do you, can you be a little bit? <laughs> like, so, so those things you, you pick up with time. So I, I, and they're, they're fun to learn, uh, but never anything that was uh, extremely offensive or anything. So I, I had, had great fun le- navigating the social cues when I moved. Um. Hey, even though I grew up in Mexico City, I went to an international school, and uh, my, my high school was actually 54 nationalities, so I grew up very emerged, and I mean, you know, it didn't ever really occur to me that, I never really thought about the different people or where we came from. In this case, English was also our common language, obviously, and And I think it, it didn't really phase me. So when I went off to the UK and, and then I went to Australia and, and stuff, I, it, it never really occurred to me. Cultural differences don't occur to me other than what I can get that's good for them. Like in my case, I, I really like eating. So if, if you want to bring any kind of cuisine to my, to my house, that's fine. <laughs> um, so... No, and I guess growing up with parents from a different from different countries, you know, I was exposed to very different upbringings on their behalf and very different very different political views. That was always interesting, and uh, so it, it's never really phased me. And I, I find it quite easy to integrate into different places. Of course, when you're in science, like you know, like you were talking about, it's it's very easy because you have that common that common topic, but. I mean, just be comfortable with who you are, you know, and take the good things from your cultural background and, and bring them to the table, I think. Thank you. This will be our last question. Hi, um, this question's for Caitlin. Um, I was wondering, because you said that you were a vet technician at first, but then you changed. So what was the most difficult thing in that, like, changing to a different... Um, I would say the most difficult transition for me was uh, getting my foot in the door, the San Diego Zoo. And just so all of you know, uh, we have a really fabulous summer internship program for our college students uh, at the San Diego Zoo Institute for Conservation Research, not just in the reproductive physiology division, but in all of our other divisions in genetics and wildlife disease as well. Um, and that, I would say, Most of my fellow coworkers started out as interns or volunteers. Um, and uh, I would say that I would encourage all of you to apply because I almost didn't apply for that internship. I thought there's no way. It's a one in a million chance. I'm not qualified enough. And I literally almost did not apply for the internship and um, ended up getting it. So put yourself out there. Thank you. So I want to thank Melina for being a wonderful moderator and all of you guys for coming. Um, and I'll do it one more plug. We do have a high school scholars program where you can do authentic research and get an idea 
even if you wanted to go off and, and do um, animal research, you can also get an idea of what it means to ask a question and learn something for the first time that other people have not seen. So we encourage you to look at the back of your um, program to look into that also. And so what we're going to do now, and again, to all of you wonderful women in science, thank you again for being part of our panel. Thank you.